I'm not doing the intro. Okay. We haven't written an intro. It's the All Things Strange Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent Anderson and... Agent Ether, who doesn't know the intro. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can check out all of our wonderful links in the description on the link tree where you can find our merchandise, our Discord, and more. This week's episode, The Broadhaven Triangle. I, I don't need you. I did the intro without you. You can't do it. You Why can't not? point and make me do things. I get all flustered. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that you didn't know that you weren't doing the intro. <laughs> Surprise! Okay, well, whatever. Hey, it all works out anyways. This week's episode, The Broadhaven Triangle, as voted upon by our Patreon subscribers. We've got three tiers. The first tier will get you early access and after hours. The second tier, bonus episodes. And the third tier will allow you to vote on upcoming topics. This week, it was between the Broadhaven Triangle and the Minnesota Iceman. <laughs> kind of, kind of, dis- after reading up on it, I'm kind of disappointed we didn't do the Iceman, but this was also a good case. Originally, it was, well, people suggested doing the Broadhaven school incident, but it turns out that it's more than just the school incident. It's actually a bunch of stuff that happened in the same area starting at the school. So we're, going to do more than just the school. We're going to do the entire triangle. Otherwise known as the spooky triangle. Or the whale's triangle. There's another one too. I don't know where it is in my notes. They call it all kinds of things. The mysterious terror triangle. There it was. The diphid triangle. The newspapers. There was a bunch of stuff I saw like... Spaceman in the terror triangle. Now I think you're just making stuff up. Maybe I am. (laughs) (laughs) No, this was actually, you know, there's news articles out there and they try and sensationalize as much as they can. And I just thought terror triangle might be overdoing it just a tad. Although people were very afraid, which we'll talk about. I don't know. There's some pretty terrifying encounters, which we will get to here. Pretty good stuff. Uh, Uh, Where do we start? Obviously, I guess the school was the sort of the first one, but there were a lot of sightings in Wales. This is in 1977, and the sightings went on through 1978. But when I looked it up, there's actually so many sightings in Wales that it's not just limited to 77 and 78, although there did seem to be a genuine UFO flap during those years. For what's generally considered the Broadhaven Triangle, there were over 450 reported UFO sightings in the area That's a lot, especially if you consider that there were probably many more that were not reported. As is usually the case, people don't always report these things because they're afraid of ridicule, losing their jobs, or whatever the case may be. Broadhaven is an area in Wales, which is on the west coast of the United Kingdom. Tiny, tiny little town. Or England, or whatever. Whatever, I don't know. What's what's the technical term that you use? Britain? United Kingdom. Okay. That's what I'm sticking with. Don't want to offend anybody over there? Uh, I don't know. I watch a lot of Doctor Who, so you'd think I'd know. (laughs) I think the United Kingdom is a whole bunch of areas that uh, band together to make one government. Kind of like the United States, you know, I guess. Don't they use the euro? I think they use the euro. 
Yeah, well, or they are on the still on the British pound sterling or whatever. We're all confused over here. We're all American, yeah, and uneducated, and we just don't know about anything we, outside of our little world. We don't know anything. We're in a bubble. Yeah, we we know nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the first sighting, generally, what's regarded as the first sighting in this case, which I don't think is really the first sighting, but it's probably the most famous one, is. The Broadhaven Primary School sighting that happened on February 4th, 1977. And for us Americans, primary is equivalent to elementary school. Yes. This involved about 14 kids who were aged 9 to 11 at the time of the sighting. And all boys. All boys. Are you sure about that? I looked. I didn't see any girls on the news um, in interviews, in the paper, I'm wondering if it was an all-boys school because they talked about uh, having a headmaster as well. Hmm. So I'm wondering yeah. if it was an all-boys school. That would make sense because um, females are about half the population, so you would expect some of them to at least to be girls, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, and two, later they would appear on uh, television shows yeah. where they would recount or they had people in, in interviews later on and, and none of them that I saw were female children. That's true, actually. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're right. The only yeah, they're all all male. Okay, so we're we're gonna go with a boys' school. <laughs> so eight, uh, for about fourteen of them, some some accounts say 15, 14, 15 kids somewhere around there. They come running in from recess, telling their teachers that they had witnessed something strange. They had seen a silver-suited spaceman coming out of a spaceship. And of course, nobody believed them. <laughs> They'd been playing football. I'm guessing that soccer. means soccer. Yeah. yeah, we call it soccer. You guys call it football, whichever. They'd been playing football when they saw a domed object 200 yards away on the other, uh, on the other side of some trees near the head of the valley that they were in. And they saw it close to the ground. I guess uh, that suggests that it was hovering. Uh, they had a clear line of sight to the object, so there weren't any trees blocking their view, but it was just behind some trees, an area that had some trees, I guess. Uh, they saw it for about three to five minutes. One of the children, Michael Webb, thought right away that it was a spaceship. The kids, the, so the school is really close to an Air Force base, so they were all very familiar with different types of aircraft, and... As little boys often are, they were definitely interested in various war machines. You know, when you're a little boy, you tend to play with tanks and airplanes and things like that. I don't know. Do, do girls do that sort of thing? Uh, I don't know. I did kind of, but my brother and I were really close and he was not interested in playing Barbies. So when we did <laughs> play together, it was more often, you know, that kind of thing. So but you didn't have much choice. I didn't. I was forced to play army i suppose yeah. which you know later he joined the army so <laughs> it all worked out <laughs> but um yeah i found it interesting there was an interview with one of the boys and he was just talking he was jabbering on about oh yeah it's not a helicopter because they would be persecuted and the only plane that could land there might be a harrier but you know, that's it wasn't. It wasn't a Harrier. And he's like going yeah. off about different kinds of planes, like a little toddler would go off about like the names of dinosaurs or something. Just, you know, right. obviously knew a lot about them. Well, and it was, you know, the height of the Cold War, as it right. always was during the Cold War. <laughs> it, but because of the tensions, 
you know, it, it makes children more aware of different things. Like when, when I was a kid, we were all very interested in the different mo- makes and models of airplanes. We knew the difference between an F-16 and an F-A-18 and all that stuff. And then, you know, when, when Iron Eagle came out, it, had, it was an F-15 in that movie, and we were all very excited about that, you know, stuff like that. We all, we all knew that, you know, the different airplanes and stuff. We even, uh, one of my friends even made a board game with, like, different ships and stuff, and he would even look up the, the ship names of, like, what Russian ships were, you know, like the Kiev and things like that. Which friend was this? Uh, I can't tell you his name because we don't use names on this show. Tell me later. You didn't know who. Yeah, I don't think. Oh, you didn't know who it was. Okay, but yeah, he's just a kid that lived down the street. That's cool. But um, you know, we were all very interested in that kind of thing back then, and I think it might have been like a a boy thing. I don't know. You know, boys are more likely to you know play with guns, pretending to shoot each other than girls. It seems like that's the case. I don't know. I don't want to get canceled. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say you just you didn't grow up in my family. There was a lot of cowboy and Indian stuff going on. I remember one year we got cap guns and Uh walkie talkies for the holidays for Christmas. And I was like over the moon and we would go hide out Mm -hmm. in uh in like the yard and talk quietly over the walkie talkie and freak each other out and like, you know, try and get each other with the cap guns or whatever. Yeah, army games essentially. I guess my sisters were more interested in the Barbies, yeah. less so in the Transformers. And then, you know, their brothers, having received bow and arrows at one point during their birthdays, would take their Barbies, stick them on a bale of hay, and shoot them with arrows. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that. It was my brothers, because I'm not a bad person. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, here I got a s- couple of quotes here from the people, from some of these witnesses. They also said that it had a flashing red light on top. We saw something come out of it. It had a helmet. We ran and told Sir, and when we went back, it wasn't there. And that was a witness named Paul Williams. Another witness named Sean Garrison said, It was flattish and had 10 or 11 windows and a door with a runway leading from the door, and it was silver. Another witness Sean and David came running in and said that there was something there. So me and some other boys went up to the top of the playing field. We saw something silver and silver and disc-shaped. There seemed to be a door opening from the object. David Davies and Tudor Jones saw a figure. They said it was silver. The object had a dome on the top of it with a light. It was a very dull day, but I did see something. And that was Philip Reese. And another witness said, uh, "Everybody, everyone is sure they saw something. It seemed cigar-shaped with a large dome on the top. I was frightened when I saw it. So like I said, the teachers didn't really believe them and said, all right, cool, whatever, and just kept doing, going about their day. The students went home and told their family, told their friends, and they told everybody, but nobody really believed them. Uh, I guess, I think the students, I don't know, somebody got a petition together and demanded that the police investigate the incident. It wasn't clear when I was reading who exactly did that, but the police got roped into investigating it because the students were understandably a little freaked out about it. My understanding, it was one of the parents. Was it the parents? Okay. It was one of the parents yeah. because uh, there was something about moms can tell when you're you're lying, and, and one of the witnesses as an adult was saying his mom could tell that he was telling the truth, so she actually went and reported it to the local police station. 
Mm-hmm. And this actually happened on a Friday. And you have to remember there's no like social media and the boys don't have mobile phones. And as soon as they got back to school Monday, the headmaster had them all draw pictures and give accounts of their stories. And there were a lot of similarities in the pictures that they drew and the stories that they told. And that's later what would be end up in the news, you know, is the accounts these boys were telling of of this event. Yeah, and that's one of the things I saw as well that convinced adults is that the kids were acting pretty freaked out. And I don't know, have you seen Stranger Things? Kids are not really good actors, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Fun show, but you can't really act very well at that age, even if you are a professional actor, and these kids were not. And I don't know, if you kids, if you've seen them, they're, I guess, easier to read than adults. They haven't developed the skill to be deceptive. Some of them, I guess. But when a kid is frightened, they're frightened. It's really hard for a kid to fake something like that, you know? Yeah, the headmaster was actually totally convinced by draw by the drawings. He apparently separated the kids and had them all draw their pictures in isolation so that they weren't corroborating. And here's a quote from the headmaster. Their stories were the same and have remained the same. At my age, I'm naturally skeptical, but I'm convinced that they saw something. I do not believe primary school children are capable of a sustained, sophisticated hoax. The thread which appears to run through their stories is that the object was a silvery yellow cigar shape with a dome and possibly a light on top. So yeah, it's... You know, he's saying this. there's no way that this many kids could keep their stories straight. Maybe two kids could, right? Because kids, some of them, they can be clever. But you're talking about 14 kids. I guarantee you there's one kid in that group, for whatever reason, is going to throw everybody else under the bus and say, you know, Johnny made it up. <laughs> he made me. He <laughs> Don't made believe me. him. Johnny said he'd break my arm or whatever, you know. <laughs> you know how kids are. <laughs> Well, and two, uh, I was watching this interview, and one of the children said he was kind of ostracized and bullied from the group, yeah, but corroborated the story, yeah, you know, and and would not go back on his testimony, and would later go on to secondary school, which would be junior high, which is a terrible time in anyone's life, and uh, said he would get beat up. People would want him to take it back and say that it actually hadn't happened to him. And he's like, you know, I couldn't go back on my story. Like, this is what happened. And I feel like if anybody was going to budge, it might have been this kid, yeah. you know? But he stuck to it. I think it's, I think they witnessed something, that's for sure. Yeah, they definitely seem sincere. And it, the interesting thing is, you know, we saw plenty of interviews with these kids. And even as adults, you know, ver- they all look like, what are they, probably in their 50s these days? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're all in their mid to late 50s, it looks like, and they still tell the same story. They have not changed their story at all. And if it was a hoax, somebody would have come out by now saying, you know what? We were all just fooling around. It didn't really happen, you know? And they still seemed a little freaked to me. Yeah. Like recounting their stories, especially right. some of the stories we'll talk about later. Yeah. And they, they have no reason, you know, to keep their stories straight. What's in it for them, you know, to keep their stories this so many years? Later on, I found that uh, the teacher, Mrs. Morgan, came out and said that she also saw the UFO. This is pretty interesting because it corroborates what the children saw. And, you know, it, it's it's a little different when you have different witnesses with different viewpoints. It makes it a little bit more interesting. But 
I only saw that in one place, so I don't know how reliable it is. But if it's true, that's still it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I didn't see anything about a teacher yeah. being a witness. So that's that's a short, short version of that particular sighting. Do you have anything to add to that one? Uh, no, I think that is all my notes on that one. Mass Gibb says, hello from New Zealand, agents. What's up, Mass Gibb? I wish I could go to New Zealand sometime. It looks very beautiful there. That's where they filmed Xena Warrior Princess. Among other things. I'm all for it. Let's go. <laughs> Didn't they film The Lord of the Rings there yes, as well? Yes, they yeah. did. Yeah, and Xeno is such a fun show because, you know, they're filming it there, and I'm guessing they would just grab whatever actors they had available to them. So they, they didn't necessarily have a ton of people to choose from like you might in an area like Hollywood. So you'll see, like, it's supposed to take place like in ancient Greece, and then you'll have this warlord who looks like, does not look like he's from Greece. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's just a goofy, fun show. It's just a very silly show. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and there's, uh, well, maybe we'll talk about it in the after hours, but it's there's a lot of um, underpinnings, we'll say, a lot of themes in the show. <laughs> All right. So the next one I wanted to talk about uh, was the the Haven Fort Hotel sighting. Did you take notes on this one, Aging Ether? I did. I took a little, but I was going to kind of let you take the reins and be commentary today. Okay, sure. That's fine. So this one happened in April of 1977, and a woman named Rosa Granville ran the hotel. She apparently, so it used to be a uh, smuggler's fort or something. Right. I thought that was so cool. And there were reports that it was haunted. Yeah. And I guess she and her husband bought it and transformed it into a hotel. And I thought, dude, that's just so cool. How awesome would it be If I ever win the lottery, I'm going to England. I'm buying like an old smuggler's fort or something, and that's where I'm going to live. Maybe a castle. I don't know. Something built out of stones. (laughs) That's just so so awesome that uh, they got to live in a smuggler's fort. Anyways, at about 2.30 a.m., she woke up uh, because she heard strange noises and saw lights outside of her window. She looked outside and saw an object that looked like an upside-down saucer in the field next to the hotel. She also saw two faceless humanoid creatures with pointed heads. They were just kind of chilling outside in the field. Later on, she wrote a letter to the government asking about the incident, and in the letter she said that it left her agitated and disturbed, and that she was not the least bit desirous of another encounter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess she was up on the second floor and she looked out and she saw the object and she said it was like pulsating. And when mm-hmm. she went to open the curtains, she said it was like bright, like super intense. Yeah. And she saw those two figures and she described them, like you said, as faceless, which always creeps me the hell out. I don't know why. Because it's creepy. That's why. <laughs> With extra long limbs. And she said they were unsteady. And she shouted at them. She said, what do you want? Which yeah. I would be quiet. I would hide. I wouldn't say anything. In fact, I'd probably close the window and slowly step back. It is one thing witnessing a UFO. It is another thing witnessing an alien. Right. No desire. No desire to witness that. Well, because you don't know. They're definitely going to have tech, uh, technological superiority. So if they're hostile if they have ill intent, there's probably not a whole lot you're going to be able to do about it. Just imagine if we 
somehow took one of our airplanes back in time to let's say even just medieval times, if we wanted to, just with one airplane, you could conquer Europe, you know, if you had refueling capabilities and their people would be powerless to stop you there until you landed and then they could smash it with stones or whatever, but <laughs> you know, or just, you know, guns or whatever, you know? So if, if they're more advanced, then we would be powerless against them. Yeah. No, thank you. I mean, I would like to hope that they would be peaceful and you could have a conversation with them, you know? But on the other hand, if they're so far advanced, it would be like us having a conversation with, I don't know, a rabbit. What the hell are you going to talk about? There's nothing that rabbit's going to say that's going to be interesting to you. It's very cute and fluffy, though. Yeah, so maybe that's why they don't kill us, because they think we're cute and fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> I have a quote from a BBC interviewer. Um, it, she said, it was a bit like an upside-down saucer. It looked like a jelly to start with. And by jelly, I think they mean like a jelly container or something. There was so much heat. I was by the window. My face felt burned. She said that there was light coming from it and flames of all colors. Then they came out of these flames. That's what I don't understand. I shouted, hello, what are you doing there? They looked faceless. I couldn't see their features. No, 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 thank you. Yeah, you know what I would do? If I saw that, honestly, if I, if I look out my window and I see these creepy-ass aliens with no faces, I'm just going to pretend like it didn't happen. I'm going to go right back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would, but I definitely wouldn't go outside, and I definitely would not be shouting at them. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this, Agent Ether, but the the best protection you can offer yourself in life is a blanket. <laughs> You hide under there and you are safe from anything. <laughs> Get a blanket and a cup of tea and all is right in the world. Yeah, just chill out under there until they go away. You'll be fine. <laughs> no, actually, I would probably try to photograph them somehow or something. I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't, I, I'd like to say, I don't know, I've never been in that situation, but I'd like to say that I wouldn't freak out too much, but you never know. I think that's one of the situations you don't know how you're going to react until you've been in that situation. <laughs> Maybe you're in that situation and you're just like, well, here I am. Here they are. I think I'll go over and say hello. <laughs> yeah, see if they want a room for the night, if they're hungry. It is a hotel after all. Yeah. So she went to find some other people in the hotel to get some other people so they could come and see it too. And by the time she got back, the strange creatures and the UFO were gone. The next morning, she went to the area that she saw them in the field and found about a two-inch patch of burned ground. So after she sent her letter to the government, they sent an officer from the nearby Air Force Base, I guess, which was RAF Brody, B-R-A-W-D-Y. They sent a Lieutenant Cohen to investigate. And in his report, he wrote, she told me that one night in April of this year, she saw a round object like a moon falling down, land in a field at the back of her property. Two very tall faceless humanoids got out of the object about the size of a minibus and appeared to take measurements and gather, gather things. He investigated the landing site and found nothing unusual, and he added to his report, should a UFO arrived at RAF Brody, we will charge the normal landing fees and inform you immediately. I had mixed feelings about that quote, because it, well, it is funny. It is a funny quote, but at the same time, it's very dismissive. It is. I got the impression that this guy wasn't taking it very seriously, <laughs> you know, 
which is really kind of strange because this was during the Cold War and they are very close to other places that don't like them very much or close enough. So you think if somebody saw something very strange, the military would take it seriously. It could, who knows? It could be the Russians or somebody testing out some kind of top secret stuff. It could, it could be anything. You'd think that this, an incursion like this would be taken seriously by the military. I would hope so. Cause you know, maybe it wasn't aliens. Maybe it was somebody else. We don't know. All right. That one, that's that case in a nutshell. And it's, you know, another one of these, no, thank you, sir. I'll take a pass on that one. <laughs> you know, strange cases. Are you photographing our cryptids? I'm photographing. I'm put, I'm for picture. They are being adorbs. What, what uh, are you putting it on discord? Yeah. Just in the announcements. Okay. Announcements, huh? Well, got to announce how cute they are. Oh, I see. I would have put it in the cryptid channel, but whatever. Oh, that works too. All right. The next case I want to talk about is the Coombs family on the Ripperston farm. This one is definitely my favorite one. And yeah. I hate to say it. It's because how freaked out they were. This is a freaky story. <laughs> yeah. This one is super freaky deaky. All right. So this one happened once again in April, on April 12th. A woman named Pauline and her children, Kiernan, who I think was 12, and then uh, twins Joanne and Leanne, who I think were six, they were in a car driving home at night when they saw, they were about a mile away from their house, when they saw a light in the sky in front of them. It got closer, and here's a quote, it looked as though it would come through the windscreen. So it flew right over them, like really close to the car. Uh, it went it went over us, and the boy looked out of the back window to see if it kept going. It was about the size of a football. Now it, it wasn't clear if that's an American football or a European football, but they're they're both roughly the same size, you know. So it was about the size of a football, yellow, and had a beam of light coming from its underside from the bottom of it. Oh. It was smaller. Yeah, this I was, didn't catch that. That sounds like a probe. Yeah, this is like a probe or something. It's it's pretty common actually to see smaller objects when there's a UFO flap like this. It's very common actually. So the object passed them, made a U-turn, made a U-turn, and came back towards the car. And it started traveling on a parallel course with the car, just a couple of feet outside of the window. It's following them. And it's right next to the car. Pauline was on a straight road with no turns. To, it's just a you know a straight shot to go home. There's no turnoffs or anything. She was terrified. So she floored the vehicle and it sped up to about 85 miles an hour, which was about its top speed. And I get the impression reading the description that this is like a rough road. It's not like a really smooth asphalt paved road, maybe a dirt road or a road that's not maintain that well so she's bouncing around in the car the kids are probably freaking out probably screaming <laughs> yeah and the ufo is following them only a few feet away from the car they go over a bridge and she said she was terrified because it was a narrow bridge and she didn't know whether or not there was another car coming <laughs> the other direction but you know she's freaked out she's panicked so she's like all right well here we go cowabunga and she goes over the bridge, goes a little bit farther, and then the car shuts off all the power. She loses electricity, the motor shuts off everything, and the car just sort of 
rolls to a stop about 100 yards after that. It's completely dark out. Pauline grabs the kids out of the car, and they run, they book it to the house. They get to the front door, they run in, they slam into the front door, you know, running in, breathless, and her husband's home, her husband named Billy, and they're they're freaking out, and they're telling him about the UFO encounter, and he's he's just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> you guys are mental. That's what they say over there, right? <laughs> and they don't, he doesn't believe it. They but, don't say cowabunga, that's for sure. No, no, that's, well, you know, hey, they probably saw the need. Ninja, the teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles no over way. there. They I, they watched Doctor Who. They said Alonzi or Geronimo. I guarantee it. Well, they certainly didn't have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1977. <laughs> no, they did have Doctor Who. But yes, not, yeah, but not those seasons. I and I haven't watched the old Doctor Who, so I don't know what they would have said. So g- moving on. I think that show started a while ago. It like, did, like in the 50s it or did, something. Long time ago. Yeah. So moving on, uh, Billy didn't believe it, but the eldest son, Clinton, who's 16 years old, went to the front door and saw the UFO as it was flying away. So he saw it, although Billy didn't, and Billy didn't believe it at all. He, he thought it was just a, you know, a goof or a gag or whatever. She told Billy that the car was dead and she didn't know how she was going to get to work in the morning, but Billy went out to the car and got in and it started right up. Although it never quite worked 100%. They always had problems with the vehicle after that. But it might have been from driving down that bumpy road. Yeah, it might. that could be part of the problem, yeah. So that was that encounter. Three days later, on April 15th, Pauline's nephew, Mark Marston, who was 12 years old at the time, was out in a field looking for bird eggs near his house. What was he going to do with said bird eggs? Probably eat them. Huh. Those poor birdies. <laughs> eating birdie babies. That's so rude. Anyways, it was getting dark out and he noticed a big silver man standing next to a silage container. And a silage container, I had to look it up because I had no idea what the hell that was. You've seen them. I've seen them. They just look like a big dumpster. You like those big metal containers that people will sometimes use when they're hauling away a bunch of trash? Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things. Those big metal things. I guess they're called, called silage containers. I never knew that. Anyways, the creature was at least six feet tall, over six feet tall, and was was wearing a suit that looked like it was made out of aluminum, and it also looked like it was inflated, like it looked puffy. Uh, The creature, or whatever it was, had boots, gloves, and a helmet. As he was looking at it, he saw it climb over a gate, and he started walking away because he was scared, and it came towards him. As When it came towards him, he freaked out and ran home. As he did so, he glanced over his shoulder and saw it under a streetlight and said that the head looked square-shaped and it had an antenna sticking up from one of its shoulders. And like the other witnesses said, it had no facial features or anything like that. It had like a black visor-looking thing on its face, but that was pretty much it. He went home and told his father, who went back to the scene with Mark, bringing a flashlight or a torch, as they say over there, and they didn't see anything. They didn't see any sign of him whatsoever. But the next day, they did see a footprint in the mud on the side of the street. It was flat with no tread and about 12 inches long. It was huge, way bigger than a person's foot would be. Um, But the strange thing about the footprint is that was only a, it was only about a half inch deep. And what they what they felt was strange about that is that at that time the mud was very very soft. 
So if it had been a person who was six feet plus tall and who looked like they were stocky, not skinny, that person would have weighed probably at least 180 pounds and they would have sunk in to the mud. I have to excuse Agent Ether there. She's sneezing. Sorry. They would have sunk into the mud like six inches, not half an inch. So whoever this person was or whatever it was, was somehow very, very light, way lighter than they appeared to be. And the, there's some speculation on this. Maybe they they were filled full of helium. That's what made them look puffy. So the helium made them really light. Maybe they had some sort of anti-gravitational device. Maybe they had something holding them up. Nobody knows for sure. But they appeared to be much lighter than they should have been. There is a skeptic theory. Did you read about this? No, I did not. Um, I guess there was, a, like, in the city... There was... Oh, I did see that, yeah. Yeah, there was like this silver fire suit like up in a store window. Yeah. And it it had uh, the visor, the black visor. I saw a picture of it. And it did match the prescription sub- description. The only thing is when I saw that suit, I wasn't scared. Right. It just looks like uh, a fire... I guess fire suit, yeah. People who worked at the factory wore them. So they sold them in the store in case somebody need one, like a supply store or whatever. And it looks like a normal suit that you would expect to see. It does not look like anything fantastic. And there, yeah, there was a guy who put on that suit or one similar to it and would walk around hoaxing people. <laughs> Unfortunately, it kind of muddies yeah, the story here. It definitely muddies it. But here's the thing. That guy was not over six feet tall or seven feet tall or whatever. He was not huge. He did not have very long limbs, which most people described. And it just, it does not match the descriptions. And he certainly did not have a huge 30, 50 foot or 100 foot long, you know, wide UFO with him, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So he definitely didn't hoax that part of it either. Right. So I think that that guy could account for some of the sightings, maybe even a decent amount of the sightings. But there are definitely many, many sightings that cannot be accounted for by that guy. And that guy started hoaxing after the sightings began. Probably heard about the sightings and thought it would be funny. That seems like the kind of thing that a teenager would do. Sounds like something your brother would do. Oh my God, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Although, I I don't know though, because your brother, I don't think, would do this because people would point guns at them and stuff and just think about it. If there are people freaked out, you're going to expect to get shot at. So it's not something I would do. And I don't think your brother would do it either. Cause it's kind of not a smart thing to do. I think in one of the <laughs> stories I saw, this guy was describing how he'd had to dive into some hedges because one of the women at yeah. the farm he went to did pull a gun on him. Yeah. Stepped out of the house with a shotgun or something. And he's like, whoop <laughs> into the hedges. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. So the print was on the side of the gate where they think the the creature, the man or whatever it was, would have landed after jumping over the gate. And also the witness described him jumping over the gate in a way that a person would not be able to do. Like just the way he did it was just, it did, did not seem like a, a real person. But it, yeah, it looked like he wasn't affected by gravity or something. It was just, just really weird detail. Mark also said that he had seen a red glow in the field behind the man and saw a vague saucer shape. Mark's mother, Sandra, and their neighbor, Ivy, 
also saw a red glow in the sky and in the distance. So we do have corroborating witnesses that saw something strange that night. There were also other witnesses in the area that had strange encounters, also seeing, you know, the silver guy and strange UFOs. Like I said, this was a flap, and there were people seeing weird things all over the place. There's a reason why they call it the Broadhaven Triangle, because it was seen in a, a tr- basically a triangular area. If you There's a map with, like, the pinpoints of all the sightings and it's in a roughly triangular shape. Pretty interesting. Just a coincidence. I'm sure has nothing to do with other triangles such as, you know, the Bermuda triangle or the Alaska, Alaska triangle or the infamous Craig's triangle. All right. So anyways, moving on back to Pauline on April 24th, just after midnight, Pauline and Billy were up late watching a movie on the television. And this this is the, the freaky one, too. This one creeps me right out. It was dark out because I guess they didn't have any exterior lighting at their farmhouse. So it was like pitch black and you wouldn't really be able to see a whole lot outside. At about 1 a.m., Pauline noticed something silvery outside the window in the front garden area. And it seemed to be moving around, but she couldn't really tell. She didn't want to say anything to Billy because he still thought that her experience the other evening had been uh, a hoax or a football, the football encounter. He thought it was, you know, maybe their imagination or they were freaking out about nothing. He wasn't taking it seriously. And he was also known to be somewhat of a character and also sort of like joke around a lot. So he was probably uh, ribbing her a lot about it or making jokes about it, you know? So she probably didn't want to deal with another incident. So she didn't say anything to him about it. Um, they were, so they were just sitting there watching TV and a little while later, the TV started to act a little weird and started to glitch out a little bit. And the silvery thing was moving closer to the window as it got close to the window is at one point right outside of the window and the TV got completely scrambled and distorted. Billy finally noticed it and he sat up and startled and he said, what the hell is that? Or I'm guessing it was more something like, Oi, what the hell is that? Wow. Is that, is that a good Wales accent? No. What do they sound like in Wales? I'm not going to try, but not like that. Or is it Welsh? Is that Welsh? No. <laughs> What's Welsh? <laughs> Oh, we could look it up on the Google machine. I guess, but um, I'd have to edit it out because, you know, audio things, copyrights and all that. So we'll just skip it for now. <laughs> Oi, governor. <laughs> Over shaking my head. This is offensive to everyone. Yeah, it is. It is offensive. <laughs> uh, but hey, if you're, if you're a fan of the show, then you're well aware of our horrible accents. So hey, that's what people, listeners expect us. If we're doing a, a, some case that's not, in California and it has an accent other than our own, people expect us to have just absolutely awful accents. Do you know Agent Redacted said he might take French? Really? I was like, why? Why would you do that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could just say, oui, oui. He finished his Spanish though and now he's like, I might take French and I was like, but but that's not for college credit or anything or to graduate high school. Like you don't need to take French. Well, we should have him do that in his free time because (laughs) he needs to focus on his schoolwork. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Anyways, Pauline said, we stood trembling, sweating and crying with fright. 
they saw a huge silvery figure outside of the window. They said, what, eight feet tall? Yeah. Yeah, at least over seven feet. It was definitely the shape of a man, but a terrible size and so broad, said Billy. So that suggests that it was like humanoid shaped, but it wasn't really the proportions you would expect from a person, even a tall person. Because there are tall people out there in the world, but they didn't get the, you don't get the impression that this was a tall person, you know, it was a tall something. The window started to rattle and vibrate for no apparent reason. It was not windy out. The creature, whatever it was, was not touching the window. It just started to rattle and vibrate all on its own. The top of the window was about six feet six off the ground, but the man was even taller than the window. And they said that its arms also seemed to be impossibly long like unrealistically long, not the length that you'd expect on a person. The description is pretty similar to other descriptions from other encounters, you know, silvery with silver gloves, a square helmet, black visor, no face, and there was a thick black pipe coming from his helmet and going over his shoulder towards his back. Their dog went to the corner and was just whimpering there and cowering in fear, apparently, and later on would refuse to go outside. Poor, poor doggy. <laughs> the dog has no context for this. The dog doesn't know what stars are or the possibility of extraterrestrial life. The poor thing is just terrified. It stood there motionless for a while. They were in a panic, so they're not sure exactly how long. They were just frozen in fear, watching it, watching them. And they said that it looked like it was looking into the window, watching the television. Makes no sense because the television was scrambled, but that's, you know, that's how the story goes. It was sitting there looking at the TV, apparently. That's what their perception was anyways. And then at one point, Pauline remembered that the children were upstairs. So she ran up to get them. She got them out of the beds and cowered on the far side of the wall upstairs from the window. So I guess the window, uh, there was also an upstairs window, and they could see the figure's head looking in from outside. Isn't that? No. Isn't that just? I'm just shaking my yeah. head. I'm picturing me with the boys and a figure with its head up to their window. This uh, monstrous figure just looking in to the window. It's like an anime, you know? You could just see its head looking through the window from upstairs. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> at some point, it moved back a little bit. And at that point, Billy ran to the phone to call the police. The police had no idea what to think. Although they had been getting calls of other um, incidents in the area. So this was not the first thing they'd heard of. But they said they would send a car out to the farm. They also called their neighbor, Richard Hewison, who arrived before the police about 20 minutes later. But by the time he got there, whatever it was, was nowhere to be seen. There was, he was gone. And there was no apparent trace of him that night. After he left, the TV was... The movie was over, but the TV was no longer scrambled. But they said that after that, they always had the TV never worked the same. It always had problems after that. I don't know if I could even stay on the same farm after that. I might have to move. I'd I'd move out of the country. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere else. I don't know. France, Germany, the United States. I don't know. I would not. Yeah, exactly. No, thank you. (laughs) I, I would just nope right out of there. 
The next morning, they went looking for evidence outside the house, and they saw outside of the window, they saw a rose bush that looked discolored. The leaves looked wilted and burnt. Some of them looked toasted, and they were like brown. Josephine Hewison, Hewison, who who I'm guessing is the wife of, um, what was his name? The guy, uh, Richard Hewison, who they lived next door. Uh, She lived next door, and she also had her windows rattling at some point a few days later. And she said that she also saw a flying saucer that was 50, 50 feet in diameter and had a silver man next to it from her window. And this was a few days after the incident. Um, she just saw from the window of her house. One night, their neighbor called and as the cow. Do you remember the cows? I do remember the cows. The neighbor. Wanna... So the neighbor, their neighbor calls. Yeah. And he says, hey, what are all your cows doing in my yard? Now, I'm yeah. not talking about a milk cow. I'm talking about 120 cows that had been locked tight up for the night. Right. Like behind a metal gate, not even out in a field. Yeah. But like at the farm, locked up in the barn, not going anywhere, just magically transported somehow to his neighbor's yard. Yeah. And all the gates were still closed. There was no damage to anything. There were no holes in the walls or fences that they could have gotten through. It's It was just a mystery. Just the neighbor just calls him up out of nowhere and says, hey, your cows are in my yard, bro. I doubt he used that word, but (laughs) yeah, it's just, I don't know. What is this like? um, Are these South Park aliens? What the hell's going on here? (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. One person pointed out in one of the interviews we were watching that this is similar to pranks that fairies would play on people. And this is an area that has a strong history of, um, of fairy lore going way back long time back, even before Christianity, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. And um, turns out I'm actually off and on reading chapters from a book about fairies on uh, on the Patreon as bonus episodes. I've done, I think, three parts so far. And the reason is because there are a lot of, so I'm still finding out, I don't know that much about it, but there are supposedly a lot of similarities between stories of fairies and aliens. That being, you know, abductions, missing time, missing memories, and that sort of thing. So that's a really, really fun adventure that I'm going on right that I'm going through right now. I haven't finished the book, but I can't wait to get to the next chapter. All right. So not all of the cases in the area were investigated or even documented because there were just too many of them. There were so many cases. But here's a couple other ones that I found. There I found a bunch of cases. So I don't have time to talk about all of them, obviously, because there are just dozens and dozens. There's there's endless. We could I say this often, but we could do we could probably do at least ten episodes just on cases in this area. But we don't we don't have time for all of them. Let's do a couple of them though. A guy named Brian Guiver, G U I V E R. How would you pronounce that? Guiver. MacGyver. Yeah. So Brian, we'll do we'll go with Guiver. Brian Guiver was on vacation and driving on the A4086 between La Rogue and Simiaglo on June 28, 1976. As he was driving, he was looking at the mountains, and he saw a large black object in the sky. It was moving towards the peak of the mountains. 
He watched it for about 10 seconds before it went behind a hill and he could no longer see it. Two days later, on the 30th, he was hiking on the mountain when he saw three objects flying in formation at what he thought was about 2,000 feet. They moved in a zigzag pattern, rapidly zigging back and forth, but they kept their formation while doing so, and they were also traveling very quickly. At one point when they turned, he saw sunlight glinting or reflecting off of them, and he saw that they looked silvery and metallic, they were saucer-shaped, and they also had a yellow color, which matches a lot of the statements that we saw in general from the Broadhaven area. A lot of them said that the saucers were yellow and silvery colored. He tried taking a photo of the objects, but he said that they the photo did they didn't come out. The objects did not show up in the photo. They had their blurry force field on. No, no, it's just the way photography works. You in order to take a photograph of something far away in the sky, you need it to be very you need a specific shutter speed, a focal length, a particular lens, and all that other stuff. It's actually fairly difficult to take pictures of things in the sky. If you don't believe me, Go take a cell phone outside, and the next time you see an airplane in the sky, try snapping a picture of it. Um, most of the time, the airplane does not show up very well. I've, I've actually tried this myself, and it's not easy to get a picture of something in the sky. In 1977, uh, there, were, there were sightings all the time, daily, weekly. They were very, very common. Here's one from August 1st. August 1st? Ugh, from August 1st. A, um, a Janet Box and Mr. Gravett were on the way to work at 7.40 a.m. when they saw a UFO above the Betts Mountain or the Buttes Mountain, something like that. It looked large and it looked like a large silver football and it was just hovering in place above the mountain, gleaming in the sunlight. And that was their sighting. There's a lot of different sightings like this. Maybe I'll talk about some of them on a bonus episode, but for now, that's all the sightings we have for you. Uh, any final thoughts on the Broadhaven UFO triangle? Well, you didn't mention the Men in Black. Oh, I forgot about the Men in Black. Why don't you tell us about Got to talk about the Men in Black. Yeah. So back at the hotel, um, a little bit later... You have these men, and the reason I wanted to mention them is because they're so creepy. Yes. Rosa didn't hear a car. She didn't see anybody coming up on foot, but all of a sudden, the hotel doorbell rang, and she opens up the door, and there are these two men there, and they look like twins, she said. Like, they could be identical twins, and their hair's all slicked back, and they're so pale. They look like they're made of wax. And they ask, you know, is your mother home? Very odd looking. And she says that, you know, her mom's not home. And so they leave in their car, which she hadn't even heard pull up. And the funny thing is they visited Pauline's farm, but it was at exactly the same time. That's right. Yeah. So you got these men in black out doing their thing, being like, hey, <laughs> don't talk about this. Yeah. But at the same time, the way it was described wasn't your typical men in black. Yeah. In that, you know, them, them coming around at the same time, the waxy appearance. I don't know. They almost didn't sound human to me. That's uh, There's a lot of men in black encounters 
where the people described, it's usually they show up in pairs. So there's two men. It's there are sometimes there are women, but usually it's two men dressed in like suits or whatever. And having pale skin is very common to the sightings. And also they seem to speak in a way that's not the way a normal person would speak, almost like they're pretending to be a real person, you know? Not like your men in black movie. Yeah. Defenders of the universe, but maybe even somebody, you know, who's who's like aliens. Like or, aliens, yeah. Or nerds, you know. Nerds. <laughs> 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 the ultimate hoax men in black we should yeah. be men in black for halloween that would be awesome that would be a great costume yeah, yeah. although it's kind of generic people might not get it we could wear the uh, we could wear little name tags yeah if, if both we both have to both dress in like that men in black style maybe with the watches yeah do, do you know what kind of watch that is i i don't know you showed me pictures before it's a hamilton ventura you would know that i would i want to get one someday but they cost, uh, depending on which one you want, they cost between eight hundred and two thousand dollars. And uh, I don't really have that much money to throw down on a watch right now. But maybe someday. You never know. When we win the lottery, yes, we bought lottery tickets today. So. Oh yeah, I wonder if the drawing was today. No, it's tomorrow. We also bought scratchers, and we did not win. Yeah. Well, no, we, that's not true. I won a second chance. <laughs> This doesn't count. <laughs> and and you won another ticket. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So the next ticket we get, I'm sure, will be a winner. I got excited. I thought I won $888, but then I realized you had to match three. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how does this game work? I don't understand this game. Agent Redacted had to come over. and No, his Agent Egg came over and he goes, Mom, yeah. you have to match three. Yeah, how does he even know that? Is he gamble? Is he gambling behind our backs? <laughs> <laughs> Probably one of these Roblox games you can oh yeah scratch or gamble or something. Who knows? But all right, well that's what we have for the Broadhaven Triangle. My final thoughts are basically this is a really good case. This is one I think I might have heard of it before, but I wasn't really aware of it. I wasn't familiar with it. And there are just so many great sightings to this case. I think I really will do a bonus episode where I go over some more of the sightings from the area because there's a ton. The witnesses, some of them did interviews and they seem genuine. And there's, I mean, you have multiple independent witnesses all reporting very similar or the same things and over, you know, a very large region, hundreds and hundreds of sightings. It's a really excellent case. I, I thought this one, I was very impressed at how good this case was. Sometimes you look into these cases and they're they're not as good as other cases. This one was excellent. What do you think, Agent Ether? What was the other one we did on a different schoolyard? Wasn't it in um, Africa or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. The one the, the schoolyard in Africa. Yeah, that was one. It was in um, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. I think. Right. I think that's where it was. So, you know, the, at first when you told me we were doing this one, I was like, again? Didn't we already do this one? Yeah. No, so I know. It, it had a lot of similarities in some ways to to that sighting. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, it's, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, but yeah, like you said, great case. I uh, didn't know anything about it. And I know very little when it comes to these cases, especially when it involves um, aliens. Most of my knowledge is just UFO sightings. So it was it was great to learn something new. Yeah, it's always, those are the funnest cases where you don't really know about it that much. That's why we haven't done stuff like Roswell yet, really, because, I don't know, everybody's done Roswell. Do we really need to do Roswell, you know? 
I bet people want us to. Maybe, yeah. yeah. But on the other, yeah, on the other hand, we would bring our own unique perspectives to it, so it'd be a fun one to discuss. We'll get around to it sooner or later, I'm sure. It was the aerial school sighting, by the way. That's right. the one that we already did, the one in Zimbabwe. That is a really good case. It's one of the better cases that we've done. It's up there with uh, Kolaris and this one and a couple others that are really good. There's, there's, We've done a handful of cases that are really good, like the, the Montreal sighting above the hotel. Yeah. The place Bonaventure Hotel where they actually have a photograph of the UFO. There's been some really good ones. All right. Well, I guess that's all we got for you this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you'd like to help the show out, you can do so by subscribing, leaving a good review, and suggesting the show to your friends. And until next time, keep it strange.